Welcome to What's Korean Cinema 29 on Mother and the Guest. And our legendary man that would end up in North Korea making movies uh, had made low-budget crime movies before this one. Throughout his career he made enticing horror that we covered. And now from 1961 we find a black and white romance, really, called Mother and the Guest. Uh, so Paul picks from the Korean film archive, I go in fresh, and this is the episode where we review the film. Therefore, simple setup, no real cool angle, no clever intro to write about uh, uh, to, to, sort of, to sort of entice you uh, uh, listeners. Uh, we'll fill you in along the way what mother and the guest is. And I'm going to be here with me is, said Paul Quinn, I, um, the man behind HangoCelluloid.com. So how are things, buddy? Everything's going good. And you, you've, uh, you, you've done a connective, uh, there's some slight connective tissue between this episode and the episode that follows this one. I, al- I always try. Whether whether it's connective enough, I don't know. But they're you know they're they're both worth looking at anyway. So there are maids in both movies uh, on twenty nine and episode thirty uh, that follows next week. Fairly fairly different movies, I would say. Fairly different movies, but both both our maids are kind of feisty. So. Not as E.T., uh, the other maid, in the other, in the other movie, <laughs> as this yeah, one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this movie, by the way, if you look, if you Google it, you're going to find a plethora of titles, like uh, My Mother and Her Guest, My Mother and a Guest, uh, uh, The House Guest and My Mother. So, um, but, but you said that, well, it's mostly com- common as, the title is uh, mostly commonly known as Mother and a Guest, so we're going with that. But my question to you, have you reviewed this um, and or, or reviewing The Golden Age you you can't fit that into the schedule because you cover movies as they come out uh, and uh, events around them and so forth. I mean, it's not so much a, a, a time management thing. You know, I'll do Golden Age stuff whenever I can because I think it's important. Um, it does have to be said that they are less sought after by people in general. You know, you won't get as much click-throughs, if you like, for Golden Age stuff, which I think is really, really, really quite sad well, well let me flip well, well let me flip it then uh, like it's a psychology time here with kenny b do you do you have a desire like this a creative desire to write about more golden age stuff very much so and do it I, do I, it you know, then don't I, hold back don't hold back let me cut you off don't hold back at all okay, because you're off. not the click guy like why isn't anybody click 500 times i've only got 595 yeah, i know i know i know um it's just when you've got films like for example, The Handmaiden, let's just say off off the top of our head, mm-hmm. that have had so much word of mouth and so much talking about it, you automatically want to be in with that and you almost set other stuff aside a little bit. I do, I mean, I do like to have a reason for doing something. You know, I, I my last Golden Age or Golden Age-ish thing was Mulberry. And I did it because it was... From 1980-something, <laughs> rather than 1960. <laughs> you know, but, you know, an older, older film. I did that because it was being screened in London, and that gave me an excuse to really push it and say, look, this is being screened, you need to see this. You know, rather... And, and it's the same with the newer stuff. If it's come out on DVD, that's a reason to do it, etc., etc. So it's just a case of trying to find a balance and... Sadly, at the minute, the balance does tend to be newer stuff, even though I'll go for smaller new stuff far more often than new blockbusters. Do 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 uh, in your own time without the pressure of doing a review? Do you watch uh, do do you watch a lot of stuff from the Kofa YouTube channel just to unwind and chill? Yeah, pretty much. You know, if I'm 
looking for something just to enjoy, I will tend to go golden age more than half of the time because they're just, they're so much fun, whether they're really well made or even if they're just so overly melodramatic and overly acted as well. Um, I just find it, it's a nice way to kick back. We mentioned your site, uh, it's normally at the end of the plugin for no real reason, but uh, you have the floor now, but let's uh, start the plugin section right now. And uh, what is the site and where is it? Okay, I, I run hangocelluloid.com, which you'll find at hangocelluloid.com. I'm on Facebook at facebook.com slash hangocelluloid, on Twitter at hangocelluloid. Do a Google search on hangocelluloid, you'll find me in there. Um, I focus exclusively on Korean films with interviews with directors and cast and crew, which I'm going to plug quite a bit over these two things because I've done, well, especially the next one because um, I've done a fair few interviews that relate to that, but we'll, we'll talk about that later. All met some people. Do, do you at all have a, again, this is spontaneous quiz time. Do you at all have a, um, a desire to review uh, North Korean cinema? I'd, l- I'd love to, but it's so difficult to get hold of. I don't know how it would fit in because I'm so South Korean based, but I really would like to. Yeah, I remember. Well, the sole one I really know and have seen is obviously Pulgasari, speaking of director Shin Sang-ok. But there, wasn't there a cycling film made a few years ago that was clearly super propaganda in style? North Korea rules the sport. Well, most of them are incredibly propaganda based. Yes, there was. And a film called Comrade Kim Goes Flying and stuff, you know, flying film. It's all propaganda, propaganda. You know, I, I just, I find it interesting and I don't know nearly enough about it. So, and that's down to Kim Jong-un and Kim Jong-il. You know what I mean? That's their fault. We can't see them. Yeah, it's it's uh, something po- possibly for the, for the future. So you've satisfied my curiosity and let's let's move on. Uh, the rest of the contact information goes as follows. This is What Korean Cinema. We'll answer that as best we can, I suppose, uh, on the Podcast on Fire uh, network and our website is podcastonfire.com where you find this show on Korean cinema new and old but also shows on Hong Kong movies new and old uh, Japanese cinema audio commentaries we do sleazy movies and even the, these cookie ninja movies that sometimes uses uh, old uh, Korean movies as their source movie and they cut uh, Caucasian ninjas into them even propaganda style village war dramas uh, are subject to um, to sort of uh, IFD or field marks uh, treatment of okay we have some drama let's put some ninjas into it and then sell it as a new movie uh, there, there was a movie called at 13 years age of at 13 years old that was the source movie for a film mark production called Ninja Project Daredevils and there was that movie and uh, I don't remember if it was Shin Sang who directed it it might have been actually the original but they they have them doing their thing their drama they dub in ninja every now and again and the ninjas run around uh, run alongside the movie mostly not interacting um, which is an interesting exercise perfectly legal exercise I should uh, I should state as well they acquired these movies that is uh, what takes place on podcastonfire.com we also do bonus episodes every now and again podcastonfire at googlemail.com is the email you can use if you have any questions or feedback we would love to hear from your views on Korean cinema or not uh, join us over on social media click the handy buttons at the top of our website first leading to our Facebook presence uh, our page in spe- uh, specifically uh, you can leave a like in support and uh, if you type in podcast on Fire Network while you're on Facebook you will get our group and that's where we post most of our updates and uh, discussion uh, discuss in a friendly manner so welcome in 
Uh, click our Twitter button uh, to reach our Twitter feed. The iTunes button is if if you want to subscribe to our iTunes feed. Leave a star rating and a written comment while you're there. If you have something to say, we would love to get some more com- comments up there. And finally, stream us on Stitcher Radio. Uh, the button leads to their website, but you can also download an application from either the Google App, uh, the Google App Store, uh, Google Play, or the Apple App Store. And Stitcher Radio's app is free, and uh, that's where you find us if you want to stream us on the go. And I write about a variety of Hong Kong and Taiwanese movies with occasional dip into Korean cinema over at SoGoodReviews.com, and my video hub is LisaKVideo.com. I post basic video reviews there, and my Twitter handle is at SoGoodReviews.com. Sorry, at so good reviews. I was so excited to say that most of the Korean content on my site are these sort of rip-off anime that uh, they produced and the company, again, IFT, picked up for international distribution. A lot of robot animations that are straight rip-offs from Japanese properties and what have you. Uh, not very good. Pretty damn entertaining and like 70 minutes in length most yeah. of the time. So it's all, it's all good, man. It's fascinating. There, there are products more than like movies in a good time, which is f- uh, a fascinating angle to me. And uh, that's, uh, that's it. Let's give you the rundown of what's to come, even though there are only essentially two distinct se- uh, sections. Uh, I thought I'd give you a rundown of what's to come despite. And you'll find timestamps in the show post for the following. And first, we'll discuss the career of director Shin Sang-ok in somewhat shorter form compared to what um, when we did the last few times we've we've encountered him quite a bit but no wonder he was a staple of a couple of decades of uh, korean cinema and then there was some stuff in north korea as well as well as we'll talk of uh we, we will add some context context essentially and some new notes actually uh, because there's been some uh, developments if you will on the documentary front so we'll get to that and then we conclude it all by reviewing the movie mother and the guest and that movie is from 1961 and uh the plot goes as follows, taken from the Korean film archive. Uh, Oki, or Okja. I heard in the movie Okja a whole lot. So uh, is that Oki or Okja? Essentially, essentially, just to cover that straight off, um, it's Oki. The A uh, is sort of the way Koreans speak when they're, they're talking to females especially, especially younger females. So everything, they speak really quickly. So what they're actually saying is Okiya. Ah. And, it, and it just comes across really quickly as Okia. You know, it's just the way they they say names when they're talking directly to someone, especially someone younger. Okay, cool, cool. Well, Oki, the little girl here, lives with her grandmother, played by Han Eun Jin, and uh, as well as her mother, played by Choi Eun Hee. We'll uh, tell some stories about her. She has a connection to Shin Sang Ok. And the housekeeper, played by Do Gyeom Bong. In a house, they live in a house known as the Widow House in this small town. It got its name since all three women in the house are widows. One day, Mr. Han, and I didn't find uh, a reference to what this actor is called. Do you know by any chance who plays Mr. Han? Because it is the second lead in the movie, after all. I do indeed, and I want to mention him. I've actually got a specific note about him. His name's uh, Kim GQ. Anybody who's been to our podcast before or has, you know, looked at Golden Age films will have bound to have really seen him before. He was the lead male actor in The Housemaid, which is probably the most classic Golden Age film ever made. And he was also... Uh, one of the stars of Aimless Bullet, which was... I effing knew it. I effing knew it. But I looked up Aimless Bullet on IMDb, like, uh, and there was no connection to his... Uh... That's a that's a, that's a shame and disgrace. Yeah, I, guess I couldn't connect Mother and the Guest. Well, it looks like him. 
But I don't think it is him. The guy with the uh, with the painful tooth, the nameless bullet, yeah. and all of that. So, uh, so gl- glamour, I think, memory is uh, is uh, uh, visually anyway is uh, somewhat good. Uh, so good, good, good. Uh, one day, Mr. Han, his character, a friend of Oki's uh, uncle, comes to stay as a uh, boarder, and Oki, who had never met her father before, becomes quite fond of the man. Eventually, Oki's mother and Mr. Han secretly fall in love with each other, and Oki becomes a secret messenger between the two. So yeah, some background on director Shin Sang-ok, and it's a somewhat quick summary of his career as we have covered him before when we covered movies such as Flower in Hell in and Pulgasari and his North Korean kidnapping adventure. So, uh, But uh, a little refresher course nonetheless, so, because sometimes we do get new listeners, hopefully. So Shin Sang-ok, uh, he started abroad in Japan before returning to Korea and got his start in the film industry as an assistant production designer on the movie Viva Freedom, which was the first Korean film made after the country achieved its independence from Japan. And Viva Freedom is a movie that exists in some shape or form, Cor- correct? It's not further lost. Totally, yeah. Good, good, good. And he was an f- active filmmaker during what's referred to as the golden age of South Korean cinema in the 50s and 60s, often releasing multiple movies per year and earning the nickname Prince of Korean Cinema. So we throw over to Paul uh, so some different questions this time around. Uh, for instance, pick two 50s or 60s highlights from Shin Sang-ok that people can go and watch now, even if they are some of the ones I mentioned already. When I read your question because you give me an outline of what we're going to cover beforehand i immediately picked you know three or four films that i thought oh yeah that 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 um and then it occurred to me that being able to see them really your only option or your easiest option is the coffee youtube channel currently there are 11 shinsan oak films on there and out of them the only 1950s film is flower and hell which would have been one of my choices as well i would have also picked a a film called A Sister's Garden from 1959. Um, I think it's on the Koffa channel, but not under Shin Sanok. I think it's under uh, Che Yuni because she was in it as well. And it's essentially about a wealthy family. The father dies. She has to take over the household, has to go and get a job. Everything goes wrong. She ends up in debts and she's almost forced into working as a an escort, um, which is just a no-no for well-to-do families. Um, wonderful film. Out of the 60s, if you can get a hold of it, I'd say Rice, um, which is about a load of farmers trying to make ends meet without having any money, without having you know this, that, and the other. And the change of government helps them out as the film progresses. Um, so it's a lot about the switching of older government and new government. How you can see it, I do not know. But aside from that, obviously, as far as I'm concerned, his best 60s film is either The House Guest and My Mother or Thousand Years Old Fox, which I adore. And and obviously, since we covered that, I can, uh, for horror fans, uh, that's something to actually look into because it is quite a spooky time and a technically efficient um, and sufficient 
time Cooper. as well. So and that's on Kofa. So, so some good selections. We'll we'll stop uh, right there and uh, and continue. Uh, Shin Sang-ok became less active in the seventies as South Korea's film industry battled with strict censorship and government interference. And Shin Sang-ok, uh, when he did manage to produce or direct films, uh, he mostly produced flops. And after he ran afoul of the repressive government in 1978, uh, his production studio was actually closed. And I think it was it was simply Shin Films. Um, no fancy name, Golden or Dragon or Flower or whatever, just Shin Films. And then the involuntary North Korean period started. And, and in short, uh, Shin Sang-ok actually went to Hong Kong in the late 70s to investigate the kidnapping or disappearance of his ex-wife, Cho Yun-hee. And promptly was, according to stories, true or not, uh, kidnapped or abducted to North Korea himself on orders from uh, then uh, then dictator Kim Jong-il, who was keen to establish a film industry in the North uh, to change international opinion of the Workers' Party of uh, Korea. There was a plan there. It took a few years for the production side of the story to come to light, as um, at least publicly or, and whatnot. Um, and uh, as Shin was brought to uh, Pyongyang in 1983, uh, uh, where he and his ex-wife, uh, that that was the point where he and his ex-wife realized they were both in North Korea. And uh, during uh, this period, uh, early 80s and what have you, uh, Shin directed seven films for executive producer Kim Jong-il before escaping with his wife in 1986 while in Vienna for a film festival. You would think Kim Jong-il was this kind of dictator that wouldn't take that chance. But maybe he was so infatuated with movies and infatuated with the fact that we can be internationally recognized that he did allow the filmmakers (laughs) and the the actors. uh, Because I I assume she appeared in some of these North Korean movies. Have we ever established that if she she, uh, acted for Kim Jong-il as well? I know she did, but I don't know which one she starred in because, again, even getting past just the names of the films is an effort in itself. Um, she she certainly was a part of it, but the main reason for her being taken was essentially to get him. So after this, uh, Shin Sang-ok worked in America under the alias Simon Sheen, directing such movies as Free Ninjas, Knuckle Up, and working as an exec... Uh, and working as an executive producer for uh, for these uh, kind of films and including uh, I don't know if he directed it but I think he was a producer on his uh, American sort of TV remake of Pulgasari called Galganef. Yeah, I think he was. Which is not a terrific film by any stretch mm-hmm. of the imagination but it's 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 interesting interesting to know that that's what he did in America. So okay, we can make it better. Pulgasari wasn't this hard memory to go back to necessarily as he made that in North Korea amusing little film here and there Pulgasari way 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 better technically and amusing because of its uh, sort of underlying message that definitely seems like uh, executive producer Kim Jong-il at work yeah definitely and Shin Sang-ok wasn't actually keen on returning to South Korea for fear of not being believed that he'd been in the clutches of the North. But in 1994, he did manage and decided to go back uh, to start directing in his uh, native South Korea again. And his uh, last movie as director is uh, The Story of Winter from 2002. But the note on Wikipedia says its status is unreleased or unfinished. And I think we've gone over that before that that is the case. It was never, it was never completed. Yeah. Uh, Shin passed away in 2006 after complications of hepatitis, and uh, South Korea's uh, president, uh, Ro Mo Hyun, awarded him uh, the Gold Crown Cultural Medal on April 12, 2006, uh, the country's top honor for an artist. So, some recognition there, and despite the fear of not being believed uh, and uh, and all of that. So, uh, a little bit of sweet uh, conclusion to his uh, to his career, if you will. 
Uh, fairly recently, Shin Sang-ok's uh, story, as well as his wife's story, was featured in the 2016 US documentary The Lovers and the Despot. You know, if you know Paul, want to give audiences a breakdown of what to expect uh, out of it, and since Shin's ex-wife Choi Yoon he is still alive, did they get any, any interviews or testimonials from her? They did indeed, and that's, I mean, that's one of the most interesting things about it. It's a, it's a good film. Anybody who's sitting down to watch it, you're going to be aware. If if you don't know much about Shin Sanok's movies, have a look into it beforehand because it's ver- essentially set as talking heads over filmed scenes, and the scenes to explain the story are actually mostly taken from Shin Sanok's films. So as you go through, you will see a person being abducted from one of his films, and it that's when they're talking about him being abducted, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The only thing about that is that they don't have things from his films for everything because they just didn't exist. So there are a few manufactured scenes, and to my mind, they came across as just a little bit fictional. They just felt different. That would be my only real criticism. You know, but if if you're a fan of Shinsan Oak, you can go, oh, look, oh, look, oh, look, as you go through and see those little clips which tell the story. The best thing about it, I guess, is the fact that they have tapes of Kim Jong-il talking to Shinsan Oak and once and for all proving the was he abducted, did he go voluntarily, and I don't know whether I should tell you the the full answer here. No, uh, let's keep that a spoiler, because I, I think we've all established, uh, listening to others tell the story, that sometimes there might be a little alternate theory to if it was an abduction or a kidnapping. Uh, so some people have put forth the theory, and uh, I don't know either or, that it might be have been a, a defection more than anything else, but uh, I, I haven't seen the doc, so don't spoil it for me. <laughs> Cer- certainly not, but um, they have a specific conversation where Kim Jong-il says it the way it is once and for all. So from this point on, there can be, once you've seen the documentary, there could be no argument of whether it was true or false. In terms of the interviews with Che Yuni, she's an incredible lady, and she's also very sure of herself. She does have a tendency to talk almost in the third person. It's almost like she's, when she's talking about her life, she's narrating a film. And it's really noticeable that she does it all the time. It's almost like a synopsis, a synopsis, a synopsis. She's she's incredibly interesting to listen to, but a lot more strong-willed than I would have thought. Um, and as I say, there's there's a whole drama to the way she speaks, just as there is in the way she acts. So it's a really interesting film. If you get a chance to catch it, go catch it. And you can, actually. There's plenty of availability for The Lovers and The Despot. Uh, at the very least, you can buy or rent the doc from US or UK iTunes. But it, it has been released on DVD in the UK by Soda Pictures. Pro to the iTunes rental is, of course, that you get the movie in high definition. If that matters to you under the circumstances, it is it is a documentary. Uh, so they're, they're out there, and uh, hopefully that, um, that there, there is a blue out there for the doc. Uh, uh, eventually, because I think it's it's it it's a movie that's going to get more distribution, I think, uh, or a little bit more at the very least. I mean, it's certainly in terms of London, it has since it screened late last year, I think. It's it's been screening on and off constantly in the West End. You know, it, it's obviously pulling in the crowds, and I think that's a great thing. On a very very separate note, and it's my first 
look, I'm going to plug me. The documentary features a few short interviews with a director called Lee Chang-ho, um, who we did a podcast on one of his films, Declaration of Idiot. Quite recently, I think it's just been released. He was a great friend of Shin San-ok. He talks about the whole supposed abduction in the documentary. And I interviewed him at the Korean Film Festival in November, and I talked to him about the documentary and Shin San-ok. So if you want to follow up even more, head over to Hangul Celluloid, um, go to the interview section and look for uh, Lee Chang-ho, and you'll be able to read a little bit more about Shin San-ok over there. Cool, uh, and we'll link to that specific interview, certainly. Uh, going back to ask uh, for Mother and a Guest, and uh, to Mother and a Guest, it was another winner, critically, for Shin Sang-ok, as it was given the Best Film Award uh, in 1961 at the Asia-Pacific Film Festival, and it was even submitted as an entry for the Best Foreign Language Film category at the 35th Academy Awards, but was not accepted. That's uh, It's uh, so fate uh, and the chapter closed there. But the, during this period, you know, Korea even aimed at the Oscars and submitted frequently. And uh, have they ever been accepted for the uh, for the category or even won? My Mother and a Guest was the first Korean film ever submitted for Oscar consideration. And as you say, it didn't win. From 1962, Korea submitted a film... Uh, once every couple of years, 1962, 64, 66, 68, 69, then 73, etc., etc. Um, and over the ensuing years, they've gradually gone from maybe every two years to lately every every year. On and off from 1962 to the present day, every couple of years there has been a nomination and none of them have ever have been submitted, but none of them have ever been nominated. Never which is a, a, a real shame, I have to say. But there you go. We can keep our, our fingers crossed that in future years we'll actually get an Oscar nomination. Yeah, it certainly seemed uh, close uh, this year, 2017, but I think we'll save uh, a, a tiny discussion for the next episode about that because it uh, connects firmly to the uh, movie we cover next episode. Totally. Um, just on a very, very final note, um, if you look through the Oscar submissions from Korea over the years. Shin San-ok has been, his, one of his films has been submitted five times. So it, again, it just shows how important he was considered to be back in the day and how important he still is now. Yeah, quality, certainly. And uh, as we cover, you know, we were up to three or four movies covered of his on this show and we realised that uh, there's versatility present there. We don't get... Flower in Hell times four, or uh, and uh, Thousand Year Old Fox uh, movie again, or anything. And uh, certainly, Mother and a Guest is a different tint to his uh, to his uh, type of cinema. Uh, I did not expect it to be well. Well, I didn't expect anything, but it was uh, something new for Shin Sang-ok. Yeah. And uh, as for my quick opinion of uh, Mother and a Guest, it. Very straightforward, approachable, and even audience-friendly romantic drama where he proves adept at depicting the lives of the ordinary and getting quite a lot of the familiar simple romantic drama beats right uh, it, there are some missteps but not many um, and uh, i bet it's also a cinematic depiction of then current society that would enhance it for anyone who knows uh, history or lived uh, in korea but uh, it's also something i think you can deselect even if you do know it but um, so my, my point is a western a fresh of western perspective which is my perspective 
it's uh, it still it still helped to uh, to sort of like the film quite a bit. So that was my uh, short opinion. What do you think of Mother and the Guest? It is one of my favorite. I'm a huge Shinsano fan, um, but it is one of my favorite of his films, and a big part of that is the fact that for a large part of the start of the story, um, it is narrated by the little girl Oki. That to me makes it more obsess- accessible. You know, the little girl doesn't understand Korean society. She doesn't know why things aren't allowed, why widows are specific, you know, in a specific situation. She doesn't know why widows shouldn't be getting married. And just from an international point of view, for anybody like yourself who goes in without knowing that much about the Korean culture of the time, you're seeing it through her eyes, which is the way it should be seen. And it it just makes it so accessible. It blows me away. It also reminds me, in subsequent years, um, the whole Korean film featuring a young child have become really popular, really huge. You know, Childless, or Treeless Mountain, Sprout, even The Lovely Child. And as I watched this, it just felt like it was the start of all that. And it just, it's so involving. They they start casting gold, I'd say, for this uh, for what is supposed to be a four year old little girl. She appears a bit more adult than that, I have to say. Mm. Uh, but we'll get to it. Uh, it opens on what you think is like cheap credits written in crayon on poles and trees, and uh, and so if, is this like cheap or is it meaningful? Is it there to add an earthy street vibe? And and I think it is because, or yeah. it could be a child. Charles' uh, little um, little uh, drawings, little illustrations, but it sort of works. It just uh, adds a little uh, pleasant vibe to it all by having the credits written out on various stuff, you know. Uh, so it's not uh, cheap, and it certainly looks uh, elegant and majestic. It's shot in scope, in uh, in widescreen, and. Uh, if you don't know anything about the movie, it seems like it's an earthy small movie, but having this wide, elegant frame, does that contradict all of that? Uh, but I, I, I never thought so. It's uh, it's almost theatrical in that uh, regard as it opens, uh, like curtains opening up to us, and the kid obviously in voiceover introduces us to the town and the setting, and we see uh, drawings of all the principals, essentially. They don't cut to live footage of them as the Oki tells you about who they are. Well, well, well there are some live cut to is like the grandmother when she talks of her but mostly we, sh- we see this is the maid and, and a painting or a drawing it's a cheery opening and um, it's not a deceptive tone necessarily because th- this is a rather pleasant uh, uh, pleasant movie but um, you know the, the, the fresh viewer might uh, ask yourself hmm is this going to be tragic or depressing? Or is it going to be a, a sort of even toned? And it, it certainly is. And and you, you should really just let movies wash over you. It's just the way I function. I'm, I'm ready for, like, tragedy. Come on. I know you're there. I know you're there. <laughs> well, you know, if you're watching Korean film, you're quite likely to find it every now and again, so... But but this opening, you know, with the credits and cut to the drawings and all of that, it, is this rather, like stylistically playful for 1960s Korea because my experience is that they kept it rather like like the stylish excess wasn't um, widespread as such uh, this is the this was the first instance of anything like this I, I have ever seen in Korean cinema you know I think this was part of a new thing you know child actors were never really that big you know the the biggest you could think of would be the children in something like the housemaid 
they're decent characters, but they don't lead it. You know, little little Oki, she leads this whole thing, and I think I think it's a really inspired move by Shinsano to get her to lead in with her little pictures and what seems like her writing on on walls and what have you. And the movies I mentioned, Treeless Mountain and Sprite, do exactly the same thing. And you'd almost think they've gone through, you know, Shinsan Oaks films in their past and seen that and it's moved them enough to want to do a similar sort of deal. And I'm guessing there, but it really feels that strong. I mean, it must have been uh, in the uh, in the air and, uh, and a fairly successful movie. I mean, at the very least, it was critically, and um, so it was not this little hidden stylistic uh, movie or anything. Uh, but uh, they they do set her up as uh, a beacon of light in a way because the mother is in mourning, so the family is a little bit frail uh, in a frail state, and uh, there's even from the view of the kid, like exaggerated char- characteristics because the m- grandmother is almost depicted as this tyrant and the maid is constantly effing eating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just stuffing us at nom, 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 nom. <laughs> I, I, I actually love the first time you see the maid and she's just got a huge lettuce leaf filled with oceans of food and she's jamming it in her mouth trying to get it in all at once. It's just, it's beautiful. <laughs> The mother isn't exaggerated in the depiction, but the other ones seem to be, like from a kid's point of view. But what they also do here, they break the fourth wall. She doesn't just do voiceover, she talks to us. And I bet that was also very new and avant-garde for Korea. Very much so. And for ye- and for years afterwards. Do you think it fits, this one, to have her a, a few times she doesn't do it all the time, I, I actually address us in a little bit? I think it really does. I think she... You know, she's having she's telling us about her life, you know, so why not actually tell us? I mean, she's so engaging. Um, It just it works for me that she's talking to us rather than just narrating in a, a general sense. Worked for me. I thought it was sweet. And, and I have I mean, she looks sweet. And uh, the, the only problems I have, I have the notes scattered throughout the review, is that sometimes she acts a little bit too adult for someone who's four years old. She's incredibly intelligent, but she's also this casting choice that seems so random because she's a natural, totally a natural and very extroverted and uh, just very lovely and bubbly. Uh, that doesn't seem like a kid that Shin Sang-ok had to prod to just get a word out of and then she wanted to go play with her toys like this kid is on this kid is a little actress she really is and you know she'll she'll throw out a perfect line and then she does that tiny little smile and you know that as a child in her life she uses that smile for real to get exactly what she wants so it all seems well-natured this character seems good and kind the the grandmother you don't really know about her as such but uh, we we get to know her along the way and sort of the theme without spoiling it or some of the content and journeys for the characters which is which is a very good part of the movie is that some need to re-examine their traditional beliefs and be brave enough to feel again feel emotions uh, you know so it isn't just a romance uh, necessarily but there is the issue of society accepting these two being paired up because uh, she's still it seems like in official mourning and isn't allowed to 
stop mourning until someone says so or not ready psychologically herself or uh, all of that do, do you know if that, that was at, at any point in Korea society something that if you if you're mourning you you'll mourn till someone says you can't anymore certainly so but the premise in mother and a guest is much more on the idea of a widow back in the days when this was made in the 60s if you were a widow, you were supposed to be, you were still married, essentially. You were still your husband's woman, even though he was dead. And your mother-in-law essentially took off over ownership of you. So the scary grand- grandmother, if you like, the scary mother-in-law in Mother and a Guest is because they ruled the roost. And you see her kind of ruling the roost about from about halfway through the film. But in terms of Che Yuni's main female character as a fine upstanding lady can't really be seen to get involved with someone else because it's not done. You're, she's still her husband's man. Um, and it's why another relationship in the film where in which the characters turn out to be much happier is because they, they're not as high standing. They don't really care what anybody thinks about widows and whatever else and things don't go that well for them either because a maid is a widow um so it's a it's a huge thing and as i say the whole point from the viewer's point of view is that if you don't understand that it doesn't matter because little oki doesn't understand that and you're following her through her story and, and i mean it is made clear as the story moves along though so it's never like abstract where you need to go and read up on Totally. Of, of norms in society and things so i i totally got it uh and 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 i i do know that there, there was they, they dropped into that issue of well i'm your mother and you know you walk according to my sort of uh orchestration stick or whatever mm. but but she's never this huge tyrant as such i mean it's sort of the, the only time you see that is in the beginning where 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 the kid paints her that way through her yeah, through totally. her little uh, little um perspective as a movie it's made with a decent snap too scenes move have a clear purpose and there's no stale cinema here that's in its infancy or anything where where we like five years later we'll get some style to the filming no this director shin sang and crew they had an idea of how to shoot but not overdo it like scenes are static and calm and we see what's going on but they're not dull and boring because the composition of this wide frame it's utilized very well, very subconsciously, actually. Um, it, uh, it's a wonderfully designed movie, but it doesn't draw attention to itself by utilizing the latest and brightest technique available to them. It's just a very, very well-composed movie. And, and you'd think this little movie probably doesn't need widescreen, does it? But he makes a point that, yeah, certain, certain scenes actually benefit from the wide frame because of the reactions in the background and things like that and, and to the left side of the frame or the right side of the frame. One scene in particular comes to mind that puts that up where Che Yuni's character walks into Mr. Han's room and there is a mirror on the far left of the wall and as she stands in the doorway they've framed it so that her reflection is perfectly in the mirror and it's just the framing's just gorgeous. You just look at it and think that's just positioned so naturally but so perfectly works like a charm the film it felt to me like it was made much much later it it seems much more well handled than a lot of golden age films at the time 
Yeah, and I mean, I don't mean to compare to Flower and Hell because it was just made in a different way, almost documentary mm. in style, but it's certainly a journey and a half, technically, from Flower and Hell, which was not even a widescreen movie, and even 16mm, I believe, so it was really on, on the cheap and all of that, so... Um, so, so he he's grown certainly, and uh, and all of that. We're working with black and white. I don't think we even established that that this is a black and white movie. One thing that modern audiences might be a little like, okay, uh, mm, is but but it's all it's really our fault. It's not the way it was made. Is the, the interaction between a little kid and Mister Han or Han? They they are very physical together, and they they get on some so much, and they they seem like very very good friends. So it can feel a little bit like they are awfully close for people who don't know each other you know she's just a kid he's just a man but i think when all is said and done it, it's just like 2017 uncomfortable without actually thinking that it is you just sort of go hmm, i'm not used to people interacting that way but but, but i'm thinking my, my theory is that isn't it more worrisome for the people in the village and uh, the characters to see this kid interact with someone so closely that isn't her father because everybody knows she's a widow. Uh, Choi Yun Yi's character is a widow. Isn't that sort of the main concern that you can't go about doing this publicly if they're not going to be married or anything? Uh, you know, Choi Yun Yi and Mr. Han's character. I I think that's a very fair point. But I also think, again, from Oki's point of view, she doesn't understand anything of that. She doesn't care. You know, she's just as close as she can be. And him being such just a, a nice man just opens up to a little girl that you just couldn't refuse. She's so sweet. She's so cute. She's so intelligent, as you say. I totally agree with you. From a 2017 point of view, you think, hmm. She even even pulls a hair from his leg at one point, you know, and it's a little bit physical that way. Because he isn't, he's just kind to her. He's he's not uh, overstepping his boundaries. And there's a wonderful scene later that shows that he's totally respectful about what his place is and when he's better off out of the, being out of a room, you know. Mm. But I, I think as wonderful as she is, there is some points where I think that she's almost too verbal and well-behaved at some points. Like, she's so intelligent for a four-year-old. Uh, it seems a little bit out of the out of the realm of realism. But at the same time, it is a movie that's very like approachable and pleasant as a romantic drama with some dips into comedy. So it's, uh, it's okay, but... But I thought, you know, at least for her first third or what have you, that she she seems like this. Uh, she seems at least eight based on the intelligence on display here. That's nothing against her as a performer. She, she is wonderful and on and you, you just can't find this charming nature in kids just left or right. Even today, you know, it is they did strike gold when they when they cast this little girl who might not have gone on to do anything in her life acting wise who knows i mean do you know if she went on to become an adult actress i searched when i knew we were doing mother and a guest i searched for her for a week on and off i was dying to find that she'd gone on and become this hugely famous leading lady i just kept looking and i couldn't find anything and and i looked majorly I'm I'm guessing not, but you can you can never tell a hundred percent. But would wouldn't it have been lovely to find out that she was she became you know one of the biggest stars in the 1970s or whatever? 
Uh, do you think the movie cranks comedy a bit too much? Because that leads us to talking to about the egg salesman and uh, the maid. They have a little mini movie. Uh, a fourth of the movie is, is their movie, I think. So do, do you think it uh, the comedy fits? Because it's downright false at some points, you know. It very much is. And in any other sort of drama, I think it would have ruined it. I think it works in Mother and a Guest because it is, from the opening, such a sweet movie about the perceptions of a sweet little girl. So I think we can get away with that farce. I I certainly didn't cringe at any of the humour and I never rolled my eyes. I actually, I engaged in it. I thought it was quite funny just for the sake of being funny. From the, the egg seller and the maid to little Oki, you know, lying to her mother saying that the man only likes eggs to you know, lying about the flowers to it's all so humorous from her point of view. And it just, I thought it worked. Yeah, I, I agree because they don't rely on the fact that the maid eats all the time. They do that two, three times. And then they settle into the rather pleasant groove of having the egg vendor and the maid start to interact because he clearly kind of likes her and uh, he um, tries to be a little bit flirty, I suppose, but rather he, he's, he's kind, you know, and they're, scenes together are wonderful sort of short dialogue scenes between the two as they share this playful banter and he makes his case which i thought was so sweet because he he says that i'd be good for you yeah yeah she's a widowed maid but he he says to her walking around with his uh big uh big contraption on his uh, back with the eggs and the and the uh, chickens i would have you that i i have a house i i save money i and i, I don't come with emotional baggage i i I'll be good for you. You know, give me a chance. And it almost looks like she breaks character in some scenes as she smiles, as they interact and do their back and forth. You know, it's it, it's it's sort of a rather rather sweet comedy, even mildly naughty comedy. Because at one point she has a, she has the hiccups, and he sees an opportunity to sort of put the moves on her. But it never goes into this uh, dark notion of uh, now there's a rape or anything. It's just he, well. We're close. I might as well. Nope, I can't. She she called me out on it, but it's 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 nice. It's it's nice. Straight, sweet, sincere, and their sequences, which I enjoyed very much, uh, shows this. I mean, they have picturesque walks together. It's all super pleasant, and they got a picnic brewing uh, together. You go, oh, look at them, and and then there's a mild farce where everything goes wrong and the sink is off and they start to bicker, but uh, uh, within that picnic scene, so. I, I kind of like that, and Shin Sang-ho follows, follows these scenes very well, uh, too. So um, they I, I was not expecting them to have the little mini-movie in there, but uh, I, I quite enjoyed the pleasant nature of it, and seeing actors get on is always uh, pleasant, you know. Agreed. And, you know, I also... <clears throat> excuse me. I also um, really appreciated the dialogue that they had. It was It was so well thought out. You know, as you said, when she gets the hiccups... He takes the opportunity to... I have magic hands. <laughs> yeah. To, he, he begins to put his hand on her uh, her behind, and she, she calls him on, and he says, well, if if I'm going to... Hiccup, so hiccup is it here, up here, buddy. <laughs> you know, he's like, well, I've got to massage you from down here because it's got to go right up through. And I love the fact that he's got these ludicrous reasons for making everything okay, and she almost lets him away with it. Um, I, I just think it works on a very, very funny, sweet, farce level. Yeah, 
I very much agree. And, um, you know, he even makes, uh, Shin sang even makes non-verbal beats quite clear because there's a wonderful scene where Cho Yun-yi's character where she is alone for the moment and she grabs this uh, hat, which I suppose is her past uh, husband's uh, hat, and she smells that and uh, she breaks her sort of childish, playful surface when no one is looking. So she's not grieving fairly internally and externally all the time. Uh, which is a, a nice scene to have just play out without without dialogue. She she's very very good, uh, yeah, so. very good very good at that. Uh, but yeah, it continues to be interesting uh, because it, it clearly is something brewing there between her and Mister Han, and uh, you know you as a new viewer, especially me as a new viewer, you you wonder is, is if she goes against established notions by falling in love with him is that why they need to keep this on the down low and is it worth that investment to keep uh keep it on the down low plus having a hovering mother there and uh that seems dramatic and sad but it all is done in this mood of being rather pleasant uh, the voiceover continues to tell the story it does run into some problems though when it becomes sort of for two sequences essentially most of the time it isn't uh, but uh, the church scene for instance has this rampant color commentary from the little girl you know about exactly what is going on mm. and uh, what i'm feeling right now and what everybody's doing and that i'm leaving church right now because she cries and everybody gets so uncomfortable and then that sort of follows in a in a scene afterwards so as right as shin sang gets that notion of it's voiceover from the perspective of, of the little kid sometimes he does overdo it when scenes are actually made quite clearly and even though i'm nitpicking that it's two scenes out of maybe 10 with voiceover that doesn't work i need to sort of call it out at the same time that i kind of agree with you i can i can see why he did it and the the scene in the church that you mentioned about half of it i could have let go you know, I liked the fact that she sat there just saying everybody was really into it, but I was just bored to tears. I thought I thought that was quite cool. And I liked the fact that she's just, she doesn't give a shit where she is. <laughs> exactly. She doesn't care when she's in church. I, I think that worked. But yeah, he half can't be blamed for almost pushing it too far, even though he does push it a little bit too far. It's probably my second favorite usage of the scope frame here, because you can see several people in the in the background not far away in the background but uh, next to Choi and Yi that that show this sort of hmm hmm what an ill-behaved kid and you obviously wouldn't uh, see that in any cropped form but it's what this wide frame is for to get more things crammed in there and not show off it's never show off it's just it's just there but that brings us to the point is there any it, it might be a selectable theme if you like uh, is there any significance as far as you know to the fact that the family the korean family here is christian and attend church uh, would, would that be valid for where korea was at the time because it isn't a period piece is it, it it's a modern it, it is a modern 60s piece so is it like a 30 years earlier or something like that it, it's a it, essentially it's a piece as was set at that point you know there was confucianism buddhism that was gradually shifting to christianity as as the country modernized i think that's just him saying look these are the changes that are going on and saying it in a way that isn't preachy isn't lectury it's just there for me i i didn't think twice i just it just fitted with the time frame from my point of view I was surprised that he put it in, I guess, but not surprised 
at why you put it in. I mean, it isn't preach, you know, that's not the point. It's just what the characters do. Is that the totally. balance he achieves, do you think? Yeah, I think I think he achieves it quite well. It's it's the same thing with a lot of the better directors. There are things that if you want to look in and say, oh, that may, that must mean this, that, and the other, you can if you just want to take it as, oh, well, they're in a Christian church, you can do that as well. I think it's nice that it's just allowed to pass rather than saying this is the state of the country, even though that's essentially what it's saying. Which is a smart balance to achieve, obviously, to us, uh, regardless if any of us are actively Christian or not. But we recognize it more in the West, obviously, mm. being, uh, you know, Sunday church and adhering to certain Christian traditions, even though we might not actively uh, practice it and, and all of that. So uh, it was just something new for me that I've not seen this active in a Korean movie before. So it, and And I also didn't know if that was something he made up <laughs> and, and had an agenda or if it was a little snapshot of uh, where they were in uh, at the beginning of the 60s. It kind of was, and I, I can't help but get the feeling that he's almost saying it to make sure that you know it's not a specific period piece because a lot of the, the dresses are very traditional. You know, it, without certain scenes, you could have seen that it was 40, 50 years earlier. It, you know, the men are dressed more in a more modern way the women are very traditional and i think it's just on top of everything else he's just underlining that look christianity's coming in this is this is present day this is this is where we are and some further more notes uh, throughout the movie uh, my, my favorite scene using uh, the scope photography is uh, the wonderful scene where it has part voiceover but part not F- thankfully the wonderful scene where choi Yun yis character opens up the piano lid for the first time since her husband died and start to play the piano. And uh, I love how sort of it's designed, you know, part of the scene is bright and others gradually falling into darkness, you know, and that house that they live in is just made for scope photography, really. It's a scene like that where she plays the piano for the first time certainly gets put a little period on the fact that Cho Yun-yi is so good at depicting this introvert, not by choice necessarily, but it's in her person to sort of keep feelings hidden, especially romantic feelings, and uh, this is a way out, this is an outlet. Uh, but certainly, you know, when she's confronted by someone who's like, hey, I've seen you interact with him, I mean, you look happier when you do so. No, 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 I'm not, no, I'm not. <laughs> and, and, and that's wonderful to see, you know, a, a simple romantic beats of someone like coming to life again a little bit more and daring to love again and things like that. And she's she's good at that. She plays girlish in that way very well. You know, you know when, when a friend talks about um, changing up her hairstyle and she's like, he, she touches her hair a little bit, fluffs off her hair a little bit. Yeah, maybe I maybe I should, you know. And it, it, it's entirely adorable, actually. And she's very, very good at that. She certainly is. I mean, I don't know many of her other films you've seen or what have you but well, it's probably flower in hell only and there she was the femme fatale you know? totally um but you know from from my point of view it's one of the another one of the really strong points about mother and a guest that her performance is really so good and she shows just how talented she is and out when i watched that piano scene just rewatched it in preparation for this I actually kept an eye on her hands and I would almost guarantee you that she can play Chopin. You know, um, it looked like she was actually playing, whether it was overdubbed afterwards, her hands seemed to be in the right place, which you just think, wow, woman of many talents. 
Yeah, the scene just plays. It has no cut to hands playing expertly and um, and all of that. Like it, it is distant, but the frame is like expertly designed, so it isn't just line up style drama where everybody takes their turn to speech or whatever. That's why I think it's a uh, this director and his crew really knew that they, they they should design the movie with some snap, you know, and not just talky 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 and this sort of plain frame. And and at the same time it is a rather plain frame, but it works I think subconsciously subconsciously and makes you think that it's very, very professionally made without telling us all the time like ding ding ding, we're being professional. Melodrama. Could could be even or in the in movies of this time, I think. You could have fresh about the place acting. Even at this time, we find it in Madame Ama in early eighties, so mm-hmm. it's a something they lean on. But I think Shin Sang Ho keeps it less lazy in feel and the outburst that we do get and the crying that we do get eventually, it feels okay and warranted for the story, uh, especially as a daughter and mother confront each other eventually in the movie without spoiling it too much there, there but there, there is a, a a way more sincere we're engaged a lot more and we don't feel like another ding has gone off here's the melodrama okay get it over get it over with so we can continue watching the movie no we, we never feel like that uh, and uh, it all has to do i suppose with skill but also setting up the character conflict and now the characters are finally having this hot to hot talk i i think i think the restraint nature of what melodrama there is again is a really strong point especially considering this was 1961 you know there are numerous films classic films great films but films that are so hugely melodramatic that you know this feels really understated and I, that, that works for me as well yeah and especially their their scene towards the latter parts of the movie where where the movie sort of established that characters have had not you can change characters as long as you have a heart to heart talk you can readjust your view on life and your perspective on tradition and i think that that's one of the most sweet parts of the movie that there is actually a chance to change characters uh, especially characters of an older generation that definitely is just sinking their teeth into tradition is where it is and that's what we're gonna run with so beat it and let us run with it now <laughs> you know but but thankfully Shin Sang Ho's movie here is it's more open to um to having people you know develop in life and not uh sit around and uh mourn all mourn all uh, mourn all day and mourn all life and and all of that so i i think it's a very a very intelligently made as melodrama but also an italian italian sort of a dramatic uh, dramatic beat you know and i think even very very subtly he he's sort of saying this is what's changing in korea we can change who we are we're not stuck in our old traditional things unless we're stuck in them in our minds but he never ever lectures he never ever speaks out about it he just lets it be what it is and if you want to look in and see that you can look in and if not just enjoy the gentleness of that melodrama have you ever heard of the notion in movies before and since that being married after 30 is sort of a key thing that after 30 that's way too late to marry and all of that because they bring it up that uh, so someone says to her i think it's a brother or something that you you should marry before 30 because it's okay to not mourn anymore so you, you should go for it essentially uh, so what do you know about that as a societal norm kind of thing i mean the societal norm until very very recently was young girl 
carries on her life until she meets a man as young as she can. She gives up her life, sacrifices everything for him, looks after him while he goes out and earns the money. Um, and whether death leading to widowhood or not getting married until you're after 30, they were both seen as not the way to go. If you were a widow, you were still, as I say, you were still married to your husband. And if you were, you know, if you were still single in your mid-twenties even, um, it was sort of frowned upon. And that carried on right through into the, the, the 90s, early 2000s. And it's only since then that gradually women's places have changed and they've been able to look after their own life outside the idea of, oh, I've got to get married as quickly as possible because that's what will bring happiness. Obviously, we won't spoil the ending other than to say that this doesn't, uh, it isn't necessarily um, the expected and traditional uh, conclusion to this movie. It uh, maintains that uh, it's sort of character-based, isn't it? That um, ha- happiness can come in various ways. It doesn't need to, and just because it romant- it's romantic doesn't need to be, familiarity 101 being done on screen here i think it's um it has some more pronounced and more intelligent thoughts than that because it really focuses on some many many positive things but it, that doesn't mean that okay now i know the resolution because in this case shin sang is definitely smarter than uh, established conventions even in uh, 1961 so i'll i'll end my Note right there. We we have some uh, other sort of a uh, contemporary notes about this movie. Let's just say, but I want to do that at the very at the very last uh, piece of the discussion here. So, anything else you want to say about uh, Mother and the Guest before we sort of wrap it up? I would highly recommend it. You all already know I adore it. Go onto the Coffee Channel and watch it. And once you have, if you are taken by the performance of that little actress playing Oki, go and check out more recent things like Sprout treeless mountain and you will see very similar hyper intelligent korean children just leading films and it'll feel completely comfortable because of what you saw in mother and a guest so let this lead you to other equally as wonderful films do we even know if uh, this was um, an audience favorite one when it played? We, we established that it was liked by critics. They submitted it to the Oscars. But do you know if it had any um, any considerable box office? Yeah, it was it was incredibly popular. Um, and it's just, I assume, I can only guess, I can assume that it's down to the the wonderful little stories wrapped up by the story of that little girl. Um, I love the fact that it is essentially three stories in one. It's her story, the story of the maiden, the Eggman, and the story of the two main characters. You get three films in one, and it was it was very well received critically and in terms of audience. And she, was she established as a as a like bankable name at this point, uh, Choi Yun Ji as an actress? Yeah, very much so. Because I know Flower in Hell is like, oh, it's considered a major classic, and it is good, but I, I, I don't, don't remember if that was that was picked up on by audiences or not. I mean, she was, at, at this point, she was fairly new. I, I think she'd only done two or I think probably two films, Flower in Hell and, let me think, to the, to the Last Day, I think, was a film before she did The House Guest of My Mother. But by the state of those and the fact that Shin San Oak was using her again and again already, um, she she just people fell in love with her from the moment she started. So, you know, this was early on in her career, but she was already a big name. 
Were they already married too, as well as making movies? Not at this point. It came, I think, three, four years later. <laughs> it's a good way to establish a relationship that we know we can work together. Like, <laughs> we don't get on each other's nerves working together. So that's good, right? <laughs> like, I have no baggage, as the egg vendor says. <laughs> we got on well, let's get it together and then we can head off to North Korea. All right, <laughs> there it is. I found out quite late, my laser research uh, sort of indicates this other post, that uh, this movie was remade in 2007, uh, a movie in English called The House Guest and My Mother. So it's likely that you saw this, so I'm going to ask, is it done in the style of Mother and the Guest, or is it a more modern update with a different tone, or and, and was it any good? If you want to take all the cultural pointers out of my mother and a guest or mother and a guest um, the original if you step forward from 1961 to 2007 when my mother and her house guest was made they are updated in a similar way so it is based on the same story but it's much more about culture in terms of what was going on after 2000 the okay the main girl character is 15 or 16 she's sort of mid-teens she's much more self-centered she doesn't get on with her mother and for part of the film she almost competes with her for the affections of the guest who's a who's a doctor um and it really is speaking what we were saying earlier on about the being married after 30 thing it really speaks in, of the way in 2005 six, seven young women were trying to become adult quicker so that they could have lives of their own. They weren't subservient to their parents as much. And if they wanted a relationship on their own terms, they would be willing to go and get it rather than waiting for a man to come and take them, marry them and sacrifice their life. It's totally an awful lot more of a rom-com, almost knowingly so at times, but it does have its moments and it's a good it's a good enough film. I would suggest if you can get hold of it, it's a really nice idea to watch the original and the remake one after another so you can see the comparisons and the contrast. How you can get hold of it, there is a very good question. Like it had a DVD once upon a time and then that's now out of print and not being re- repressed. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Therefore, no huge names to warrant the repressing, like no, like uh, no co-starring, you know, uh, you know, all those uh, men and women from Park Chan Wook and Kim Ji Woon movies. Uh, was it like a small, smaller movies in that regard, cost-wise? It was just a really small film, and its notoriety came from the fact that it was a remake of a really classic Korean film. That's what drew audiences. And I don't think it did all that well. Could have been more worthwhile, but it's just interesting that Korean society's changes reflected what changes were made between the two films. Not a bad uh, reason to go into remaking it. If you sometimes remakes just sort of lazily, well, we'll just kind of update it and then boom, 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 flashes of style. And is this acceptable? Please love us. Like it's this sounds like okay, we're gonna try. An updated so people are going to be on MySpace, and yeah. and, and and we're going to change the age of uh, people. And uh, yeah, so, so it sounds like it came with some train of thoughts uh, that were valid. It really did, but it could never compete with the original because because of that little character. She she really made that film for me, and the older character is interesting enough, but 
She's kind of a bit selfish and annoying at times, so it's never going to be as strong, but worthwhile anyway. Uh, okay, as for availability of Mother and a Guest from 1961, it is available to watch for free. You're not breaking any laws by doing so, and with English subtitles if you do it, if you need it. And it's available on the Kofa YouTube channel as Mother and a Guest, and uh, I will link directly to the full movie. You know, they have a print Kofa, obviously. It's not uh, YouTube standard high definition. I wish actually that it would get an upgrade on disc because I think as good as it looks in scope and it actually its technical positives do come through, I think it deserves a high definition remaster actually. I tend to agree. So, but but clearly Kofa have a print that's intact. It's not uh, verging on breaking up anytime soon. Like even the housemaid in HD has some huge problems with the print just deteriorated a little bit compared to other sections in the film. So this is one that seems very uh, intact, complete, cleaned up. So hopefully they they have an HD version ready to go if if they decided to to opt for a DVD release. uh, Or, um, sorry, Blu-ray release. Um, So uh, we'll see. Next time, and there's no use writing a clever tease intro thing for this one either. Uh, Next time, next episode, next week, we're reviewing Park Chan-wook's the Handmaiden from 2016. So, uh, in in the meantime, uh, you listeners and uh, we certainly will bone up on some erotic literature in the meantime, because <laughs> uh, these characters in that movie, especially one, they know their books, man. They're filthy oh, books. Yeah. <laughs> There's even a reference in The Handmaiden to um, to a f- famous Chinese novel, um, the, the Plum in the Golden Vase. They talk of uh, the character of Shimen uh, Ching. And what he's doing to a woman and all of that. And uh, I, I only know that because it's been made into several Hong Kong movies. So I was mm. like, hi, I know that. Chi Man Ching. And, you know, we, we had a little uh, funny discussion about subtitles. Chi uh, uh, Man, uh, X-Y-M-E-N. In the, mo- in the two movies that were ba- was based on that book, uh, novel, which is a f- famous, famous novel. They, they made a couple of movies called The Forbidden Legend, Sex and Chopsticks. In that movie, both in the credits and in the subtitles, Chi Man is Simon. <laughs> so he's Simon Ching. Hey, what's up, people? I'm Simon Ching. Yeah, it, it, it's an adult movie, kind of a uh, sort of a kooky part one, and then a viciously violent part two. So it doesn't yeah. really take itself seriously. But uh, Simon Ching, everybody. Simon Ching. <laughs> so, so yeah, the characters in that reference uh, not only Japanese famous uh, written work, but Chinese as well. So that's a little ding that I noticed. But anyway, The Handmaiden. And uh, that's uh, that's as high profile as uh, you can get, I suppose, on, on this show. Pretty and much. Uh, and very, uh, very current. So all things Handmaiden, next episode. But in the meantime, this has been What's Korean Cinema on Mother and a Guest. Uh, we're available on podcastonfire.com along with all our other shows on Hong Kong, Japanese, uh, Sleazy, Ninja, Cinema, and even Commentaries. Uh, bonus episodes is available on podcastonfire.com. If you've seen Mother and a Guest or um, even uh, the remake or have any other thoughts or questions, let us know. Podcastonfire at googlemail.com. You can do so on social media as well. Follow the handy buttons to our Facebook. The buttons at the top of our website, that is. Uh, That will lead you to uh, Twitter as well. Uh, The third button is to our iTunes feed. And the fourth one is to Stitcher Radio, their website presence, where you can look us up to stream us on on your laptop or computer. But you can also download applications from the Apple App Store and Google Play. And just search us out and you can stream us on the go. I write about a variety of Hong Kong and Taiwanese movies, new and old, specific genres, some 
common genres at sogoodreviews.com. My video hub with basic video reviews is lazykvideo.com, including ninja movies containing uh, old-timey, almost propaganda in style, uh, <laughs> South Korea war movies. <laughs> it, is, it is what it is. Hey, even Shin sang okay had a Hong Kong stint. Did, did you know that? He he did at least one or two movies for Shaw Brothers. Yeah, totally. Yeah, not The one I saw, the ghost movie, not a very good one. But they, it was like, hey, I know him. And they used to import talent, the Shaw Brothers. They had a thing for Japanese directors and uh, technical crew and what have you. So that was a cool little uh, stint before he was um, abducted or uh, defected. So I can't remember the name of the movie now. It uh, it never got a wide DVD release. It had um, like TV showings. And it was put into this strange little box called Sea Eagle, I believe. But uh, Shin Shin Oaks. Shaw Brothers movie or is Shaw Brothers movies at least one of them was uh, was remastered so but uh, anyway that's that's where you can find uh, my stuff uh, I'm available on Twitter at so good reviews and finally buddy plug away Hangul Celluloid by now you reviewed The Handmaiden right I have reviewed The Handmaiden which uh, on our previous conversation because there's been so much talk about it not that I am a figure follower but figures went through the roof so um, the roof, the roof, know, the roof is on fire. It, it's just bang. <laughs> um, so you know, it it shows how popular it is among certain people. So you know, have to tune in to see what we well deserve, my friend. Think. Because I assume it was a quality review as well, even though I didn't read it beforehand because I didn't wanna. Not beforehand. My thing with reviews, I always review something. I'll leave it for a few days and then go in and see if I. I'm still happy with it, and mostly I am. I actually only reread my review of The Handmaiden this morning just to make sure I hit all the points I wanted to hit that I'd hit before in the review. And uh, I hit all the points I wanted to make, so, you know, I'm I'm happy with it, and if I'm happy with it, well, everybody else will be happy with it because it's the way it is. Um, I'm guessing. There it is, people. Yeah, there Paul, it is. Paul Quinn says, you'll be happy, you eat your crap and you like it. Um, you know, I, I know you'll have a lot of thoughts on the film and hopefully some of the things that occurred to me will come as a surprise to you because of how I saw the film in the first place. But we'll we'll talk about that on the day. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll, uh, we'll conclude for now then. So this has been can it be you're discussing Marber and a guest with Paul Quinn of Angle, sadly Lloyd. So send us out, buddy. All right. Lovely to talk to you guys. See you later. <laughs>